Welcome back for a week nine recap of what many were calling the ugliest slate of the year. We had a Cowboys-Eagles game that did not disappoint. We had Joshua Dobbs looking like an absolute G out there. Other than inspection, we had Arthur Smith, who, I mean, legit, more concerned with being the smartest guy in the room than actually winning, and that likely cost the Falcons the W. Browns and Ravens continue to be, in my opinion, the two strongest defenses in the league. You got tournaments that were being won by GameStack in that 39-37 shootout between the Bucs and the Texans. Hey, cash recap, GPP tourneys, and more. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I'm your host, Justin Herzig, and we are back to recap some football. What a day it was. Started off the day at 9.30 in the morning Eastern time in Germany. It may have been the jet lag. Maybe the Chiefs defense actually, you know, continuing to show that they are legitimate. They are one of the top defenses out there. Maybe this game actually is going to be used going forward. Uh, press man coverage was used against Tyreek and Waddle quite often, and it truly disrupted not only them, but the entire offense. And really, other than Raheem Mostert going for 85 yards and a touchdown, nothing really you know fantasy relevant beyond that. Uh, the other touchdowns were Cedric Wilson, Jarek McKinnon, and Rasheed Rice. They combined for five catches, but all three of those touchdowns, so not much really there, and not many people were really playing or starting them. And uh, Travis Kelsey, probably the biggest bust of the game, only had 14 yards on three receptions, but that's okay. They are heading back home after this, and uh, we've got better days ahead for both of you know both of those offenses and Chiefs. I think just happy to get you know escape with that W. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll admit, even though the product, you know, the actual like gameplay on the field hasn't been great. And I do think the travel, the jet lag, all those things do come into play from a personal standpoint. I actually kind of like waking up prep for the main slate, watching an early game on TV in the background. Um, if this is here to stay, um, I hope that like, maybe they can get a little better planning with around the bye weeks and such. I think teams will get better with understanding, when you travel, how quickly do you get there? How long should you be there with the jet lag and everything? But uh, as a fan, I don't hate it. I feel kind of guilty saying it. But okay, let's move on. Speaking of the main slate, let's get to the cash lineup review. Oh, my lineup put up four snowflakes, totaled 110.18 points. I ended up winning 48% of my head-to-heads, so, but finished outside the cash line for double ups and uh, missed by about 10 points. The popular builds today really struggled as uh, four of the top five popular lineups of the most popular lineups all missed the cash line today. But let's break down my lineup. So this was one of the more interesting postmortems I've done as I was reviewing the cash plays, the high on plays that were very successful. I wasn't even really ever considering. And this slate really comes down to kind of a first decision at the QB. And from there, you either had a good or bad day because you had money to spend. And so let's dive in. The teams that thrived today, they all did one common thing. They paid down at QB and they used that money to do one of two things. Either get off the cheap running back, Devin Singletary, or get up to an elite wide receiver, A.J. Brown or CeeDee Lamb. It's common, I'd say, that like an alternate build that I don't consider ends up successful. But the rarity here is it's rare that like it happens when that build is also pretty popular. And uh, I mean, 
usually because you've got enough kind of projections out there, optimizers, discussion, got a good feel for like what's going to be popular and then how I can kind of from there decide where I want to go off the chalk, where I think I may be able to get leverage, where I think the best plays are. But I really at never, at no point did I even consider paying down for Dak. Um, and yeah, I, I'll, I'll go a little more into kind of my thought process there and kind of a recap. But first off, my lineup um, at QB, I played Jalen Hurts. Running backs, I went Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs, Devin Singletary. Wide receivers, Adam Thielen, Pop Douglas, and Jahan Dotson. Tight end, David Njoku, and Giants defense. Okay, so starting off at that QB spot. Only ever really considered Jalen Hurts on this slate. Every game since we've won, he's had 20-plus points. It's more likely than not that he's going to get one of these tush-push TVs. He just has a level of upside that no one else in the slate besides Lamar has access to. And it's not only the upside, it's also like from a median standpoint, you, you can just kind of bank those points. And yeah, comparing Lamar, Lamar costs $200 more, more. We've seen now in the past two weeks in a row now, that goal line usage, that red zone usage, it can kind of take Lamar out of it if they're doing it with a Gus Edwards. Uh, and you know, that's a, that's missing out on a big part of fantasy points. And then also, yeah, he costs $200 more. So he was never really a consideration. But I mentioned like the big miss on my part was never even considering Dak. Now, hindsight, looking through this. So he was $1,500 cheaper than Jalen. And we know that QBs correlate with each other in games. So probably should have at least been like a consideration. But, I mean, Dak's floor-ceiling combo just wasn't appetizing enough for those savings. And that obviously was showing in the projections. Dak's first five games were all under 20 points. And maybe, like, I needed to be more willing to throw out those early five games, given the wonkiness of those games, the DSTDs and the resulting game script and such. Um, and like, yeah, if we want to put a feather in the cap, I mean, hey, we've seen Pollard struggles as a rusher, and this has made them more, you know, made them willing to be a bit more pass heavy, especially the past two weeks. And so maybe I should have leaned more into that. Hey, you got the expected game script of either a shootout or them playing from behind. And all of those kind of lead to positives for Dak. <sighs> It's tough. It's tough because I just, I love Jalen and that $1,500, maybe that's where, you know, that would have gotten me off of Thielen and onto one of those higher ends results focused. Obviously that would have been the correct play. I find it difficult to in the time have seen myself getting there. Um, but maybe that was a, uh, maybe that was a miss on my part. And yeah, when we look at the results, Jalen had a solid game. He put up 25.88 points. He was 26% owned, but Dak put up 32.56 points and was owing 2% more at just under 28%. And you're getting $1,500 in savings, which were quite valuable when we can think about, at least on my lineup, where my weak uh, result spots were, where, where that money would have been used as upgrades. So elsewhere in the QB landscape, Derek Carr was about 11%, Lamar 7%, Howell and Stroud were shortly behind. Obviously, if you played C.J. Stroud, you just absolutely hit the home run. Uh, he put up 44.8. Didn't get too much out of Carr, Lamar, elsewhere. Okay. At the running back position. So Alvin Kamara was my first lock, given his receiving game usage we've been seeing and going against the Bears team that is vulnerable through the air, particularly from running backs. Kamara's target share in the year is 22%. And despite knowing that, yes, there's the risk that he's going to get his touchdowns vultured, you've got the Taysom Hill aspect and his usage has been increasing. There's still Jamal Williams. There's occasionally Kendra Miller. Kamara's volume, though, especially in the passing game, just 
made him too much of a lock for me. And hey, last week we also saw him get those two touchdowns. Um, and the field was aligned on this. He was on a 58% of teams. I don't think there were any kind of uh, mistakes there. Um, next play for me was Devin Singletary at only $4,300. With Damian Pierce out, Singletary projected to really be that primary back, and you don't often get that at the price of $4,300. Yes, there were definitely concerns. There were flags, such as, I mean, hey, maybe Mike Boone is going to steal some passing game work. We'd seen Boone steal work from Damian Pierce earlier in the year. Bucks have a very strong run D. They're a pass funnel, so maybe uh, it's hard to run against them or they don't need to run that much. But end of day, the value was just too good for me to pass up. And uh, I think most of the field agreed. He was played by about 40% of the field. And results, he got 76% of the rushes. You love that. He got two receptions, a little lower in the target show than maybe you'd hope, but hey, you still get two receptions. Uh, but he couldn't do anything with that volume. Ended up at only 4.6 points. That's a snowflake. And now for the third running back, there were four guys that were in play for me here. Um, all of them had positives. All of them had some deterrence to it. So let me go through each, but it was Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, Bijan Robinson, and Saquon Barkley. So starting at the cheapest, Bijan at $6,100. He's got the talent, obviously, but we know there's a questionable role aspect here. It was a solid game environment versus the Vikings, who were expecting Jaron Hall to be there. Obviously, Jaron Hall got hurt. Um, but you know, you still have the Tyler Algier aspect. You have the Arthur Smith aspect. So we love the talent, but we're a little concerned about the role. Then you've got JT. JT similarly has the talent, a bit more difficult matchup, I would say. Uh, but that's one of the most productive backfields in the league. And JT's expect to only be getting 50 to 60% of the volume as he shares it with Zach Moss. So you like that one, I'd say, but there's still some volume concerns and there's that wonkiness from last week with the you know second half. What happened? Is there maybe a lingering injury? Is it something on the coach? I don't know. But there's still kind of cause, cause for concern, I would say. Then you get Josh Jacobs at 6,900. Jacob is expected to get the majority of the volume. The coach speak has been very positive to him with the interim coach after um, you know after all the, the, the movement in the past week that hey they want to run through Josh Jacob the team runs through him and we saw in a small sample size that Aiden O'Connell threw to Jacobs a bunch uh, and pretty solid matchup versus the Giants Giants give up ninth most points to opposing running backs you expected uh, this to be a game that the Raiders are you know favored have a good decent chance to win um, and so like. Hey, I thought that was a really strong play. And the last one considered is Saquon Barkley, $1,000 more, $7,900. And Saquon probably had the highest expected volume on the day out of any running back. I mean, hey, he had 40 opportunities last game. He's getting Daniel Jones back for this game. So that'll maybe increase his TD efficiency. But the downsides here is, yeah, Saquon was $1,000 more than Jacobs. And uh, ETR actually had Jacobs projected a little higher than Saquon straight up as the second highest behind Kamara. And so, end of the day, I went with Jacobs here for kind of those reasons that I outlined. Of these four guys, JT was the highest owned at 31%. Jacobs was a little behind him at 26. Bijan 19, Saquon 18. Jacobs outscored the other three, but JT was pretty close behind him, only four points behind um, and I mean, hey, in summer here, I didn't really gain much ground despite Jacobs outscoring those having a pretty strong day. Unfortunate that, Hey, Jacobs hit the hundred dollar, the hundred yard bonus. Then the next play, almost the last play of the game ended up losing the hundred yard bonus. So that hurt a little, but there wasn't too much separation here. I was able to kind of, I'd say survive that Devin Singletary, 
uh, Snowflake because I did pick the best out of those last four and just about everyone had up in Kamara. Uh, but yeah, wide receiver, that's what we're going to get to. That's where the, uh, that's where the blade really went in me. That's where I suffered the most. Okay. Wide receivers starting off with a cheap $4,000 pawn of Demario or Papa Douglas. Once Kendrick Bourne went down last week, it was really safe to assume that Demario was going to become that de facto number one wide receiver in this offense. Last two weeks, he ran his highest routes run, 76% and 84%. He also earned his highest target percentage, 17% and 22% respectively. At $4,000, this is a you know a punt play value for kind of the best wide receiver, the one that we expect to get the most volume on an offense that we expect to be passing. And so, yes, you could argue that like, hey, he was a good tourney fade, but for cash, I considered him a lock. The field pretty much agreed. 50%, 57% of lineups had him. After that is where the really the big decisions kind of came in. So if you paid down at QB for Dak, you likely had enough money to get up to either CD Lamb or AJ Brown. If he played Hurts, you likely had to go for the kind of two guys in the tiers below. Now, I normally won't play a guy who I'm expecting to be less than 5% owned, but when I was playing with it, I found a team that I really liked. Had Jahan Dotson, who was not going to be played elsewhere, and I knew that, but I felt that Jahan Dotson was a better play than what people were giving him credit. In the two games that Curtis Samuel was out, Dotson saw 23% and 18% targets. He's an ascending talent. Sam Howell, we know he's in play for 50 dropbacks, and the way to beat New England is in the air. So most people who wanted a piece of this receiving game, they paid $600 more to get Terry McLaurin, but I thought Dotson was almost as good of a play straight up, and that was the difference between me playing Jonathan Taylor or Josh Jacobs, using that extra $600 to get to Jacobs instead of JT. Um, and yeah, Dotson ended up being a great play, 4.8% ownership, as I was referencing, and leading the team in targets, getting four receptions, 69, nice, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Um, and then my last wide receiver was Mr. Consistent, Mr. Absolutely Destroying this year, Mr. It doesn't matter who he's going against or what's happening, he is going to put up just a great game, Adam Thielen in a strong matchup against the Colts. And sure enough, Adam Thielen had the worst game of the year. I think he had maybe had two catches at the half, had positive game script in the second half, and Bryce Young still couldn't do anything with him. Um, tough, tough to play. A player that I probably was mostly out on this year, and I did get him, I think, once or twice in the past couple of weeks taking advantage. But uh, for him this year to be a complete dud when the guys that, again, if you pay down for Dak, you probably went from Thielen up to either CeeDee Lamb or A.J. Brown. And if we look at those point gaps, that's where it's really, really tough. So Lamb had another big game. He put up 30.1 points at 38% ownership. A.J. Brown didn't get his 125 yards, but he still got a touchdown, got 19.6 points at 35% ownership. So compare those two to Adam Thielen's only 7.9 points, and I've got quite the hole to climb out of. Especially, I mean, 38% of people got that 30 from Lamb. And also, what was the number that we said earlier on QBs? You got 28% of people played Dak. So now you've got people who've got a seven-point lead on me at QB. And now they just picked up another 20 or so points with CeeDee Lamb over um, Adam Thielen. So it is quite the hole to do dig out of. And it really just came down to, did you pay down for the Dak side of things? Um, all right. At tight end. 
There was no one here that I really loved, but I think a few guys felt like pretty decent plays, and those were Logan Thomas at 3,500, David Njoku at 3,800, and Dalton Schultz at 4,100. I would have been fine, honestly, playing any of these, but the money worked out for David Njoku, slotted that one best. Going against Arizona, Deshaun Watson being back, Njoku coming up back-to-back 24% target share games. Granted, those weren't with Deshaun, but I still think, you know, this was more of a Njoku healthy expanded role in this offense going against Arizona. I'm happy to play Njoku here. He ended up turning six targets into four receptions, 26 yards, got a touchdown. So we're thankful for that in a game that, I mean, Arizona wasn't able to do anything. Browns didn't need to do anything. Had short, small, you know, short field position most of the game. And probably you know, pretty fortunate that, hey, one of the touchdowns obviously went to Njoku. Um, but overall, like, hey, I'm still pretty comfortable with that play. Got him at 13% ownership. Tight end ownership across the board is really quite flat. I mean, the other high-owned guys were Logan Thomas was the highest owned at 16%. And then Jake Ferguson, Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson were all at 10% and then down from there. So, and yeah, didn't joke with 12.6 points there. Logan Thomas got seven. Ferguson had the big game in the late one. <laughs> but again, these Dallas ones, like, I don't know. They just, oof. Dallas, Dallas had a great game. All right, that leaves the last DST where I was mostly tinkering with two teams. Patriots at $2,900 going against the Commanders. Commanders give up a tremendous amount of sacks. And another is the Giants at $2,300 going against the Raiders and Aiden O'Connell. A lot of my lineups early on had the Patriots in there, but eventually I got to one where, hey, that $600 was essential and thus dropped down to the Giants. 52% 52% of the field also ended up playing the Giants. So while negative one points from your defense is painful, when half the field are playing them as well, it's manageable. But, I mean, it's still, hey, in double ups, 50% make it, 50% don't. And so if you're getting the Giants at minus one and the other popular ones are the Packers at 10% giving you 12 points, the Patriots at 10% giving you eight points, the Browns at 6% giving you 23. Again, that's a tough to make up. So... In my mind, like, hey, I like, I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to still like recap on, hey, what was good, what was good, what was bad process. I think it was bad process that I didn't at least consider a bit more the DAC drop down, so then I can get up to an AJ Brown, CD Lamb, because those really are substantially better plays than Adam Thielen. From a projection standpoint, I I think that's actually, I think that's there, I think that's true. Um, now. Could I have seen myself actually making that move? I think it's really difficult. So maybe this is just a week that I was bound not to have a strong week, but you know, got got lucky or you know was fortunate to end up hey, winning 48% of my head-to-heads. Um, just missed out on the cash lines. Speaking of cash lines, you guys know how I like to kind of each week talk about what the single entry double up versus the multi-entry double up cash ups lines were. Weird, but this is the first time this year, and I don't remember a time like this before, but I also haven't been tracking this much before this year as as meticulously, but the $5 single entry double up cash line was 123.88. The multi-entry double up cash line for the $5 was 115.36, so about eight and a half points fewer. Now, what does this mean? It means that the pros, the ones that are most likely to be max entering the 150 lineups, did not do well this week. And it shows in that four of the top five most played lineups finished underneath that single entry cash line. And so if you want to see what I'm talking about, I put a tweet out 
Sunday evening around 10 p.m. ET. You'll see some screenshots, but uh, this shows what the cash line teams were. It also shows what the four, you know, what the five most popular lineups were. And I highlighted them, and you can see like what their point totals were. And yeah, four of those were less than that single entry double up total. Um, one of them did well, but they were all none of them were DAC lineups. I believe, top of my head, they were all either Hertz or Lamar lineups. Okay. Moving on to my GPP lineup, uh, we didn't know for sure until Sunday, kind of Saturday, we kind of had some good feelings and then we were watching practice, but we didn't know for sure until Sunday that Deshaun Watson was going to be playing. And hey, in a game against Arizona, I thought this would be a great opportunity to get a low owned pieces of an offense angered by a QB that should be not be nearly as cheap as he was. I mean, Deshaun Watson at 5,400. Knowing his upside, his usage on the ground. Now, he hasn't looked good. He hasn't had pop on his throws. But in a game against Arizona, I'm not expecting the Browns to really be bringing Deshaun Watson out unless he truly is healthy because they can win that game with PJ Walker. Like that wasn't necessary. So that was my thought where if actually Watson is playing, I think he's actually doing a lot better and I can have confidence playing him in tournaments. And so that's what I did. I went with a double stack of Amari Cooper and David Njoku, and I got them at pretty low ownership. Sean Watson was 6%, Amari Cooper 11%, and David Njoku 8%. Brown's defense is way too good in my mind to consider a bring back on the Arizona side, so I just stuck with those three, and um, you know, I hit pretty well with them. Watson got 19 points, Amari Cooper got 28, David Njoku uh, got a touchdown, so he got 12.6. And then I wanted to get one other low owned play. And I really like Zach Moss, given how efficient he has been and expected very low ownership. He was actually popping as the number one value in the ETR Sims. And uh, so I got him at 4% owned, though, unfortunately, he did virtually nothing. And going with a low owned double stack. So once I had the Cleveland side of things, I've got the very own, very low owned Zach Moss. I figured I could go pretty chalky elsewhere. And so I just kind of started playing, you know, going for the guys that I like the most. Kamara and Jacobs, my other two running backs, Thielen and Pop Douglas at wide receiver, and Giants at DSD. Unfortunately, though, my chalk actually mostly failed them up. I mean, pretty much all that failed except for the Josh Jacobs. And so this team, while it looked pretty promising after the early games, ended up doing just about nothing. Scored 112.26, didn't cash in anything. Um, and even if I was able to squeak out a main cash, it was not going to be able to compete with the Whew, those CJ Stroud doubles or even triples that swept tourneys today. And in hindsight, like well done to those people because that feels like it was too obvious a play to really not consider. Um, or I, honestly, I did consider, but like not to play because TB, uh, Tampa, they pass funnel. So you could play Stroud, you could play two of his pass catchers, then you could play Rashad White on the other side who's been getting great usage and you know you can run against Houston and it just kind of works so well for a true game stack. But of course, hey, things always look better Monday morning, quarterback, looking back. But um, so well done to the people who played that. Definitely made a lot of sense and you guys got rewarded. So enough about the main slate. Let's look ahead to the Monday night football game. One more game to end this week. We have the three and four Chargers at the four and three New York Jets. Jets are one and a half home favorites, one and a half point home favorites, 37 overall point total on this game injuries wise chargers are going to be without josh palmer i think this opens the door for quentin johnson to potentially get more usage have that breakout 
I'll give us you know, in a second why I don't think it's going to happen. But I think the key here, if you if Quentin Johnson is going to have a breakdown, they're going to have success. The key is using him in quick underneath routes. Use him as his run after catch as a weapon. Don't rely on him trying to win downfield. Um, if you look at the tape, you can see he is not separating. He is not breaking away from corners when you're going downfield. His biggest success has been when you're designing plays underneath, whether it's through screens, whether it's through quick release, and then once he has the ball in his hand, letting him use his you know, just his ability, uh, his yards after catch ability as a weapon. Um, all that said, we know that this Jets defense is legit, uh, but specifically their greatest strength is against opposing wide receivers. They've given up the fewest fantasy points to opposing wide receivers and only three wide receivers in a year have even, have even gone above 50 receiving yards. And those three guys, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown, and C.D. Lamb, all three alphas. And they have pretty solid games, but outside of those three, no one's gone above 50 receiving yards uh, for wide receivers. This makes me think that if anyone's going to do it, it's Keenan Allen. But in general, I'm probably willing to bet against any wide receivers and say, hey, I want to play Chargers, running backs, and tight ends here. For tight ends, the Jets have given up six touchdowns to opposing tight ends on the year, almost averaging one a game. Gerald Everett should be back on the Monday night, and I expect to see quite a few two tight end sets with Gerald Everett and Donald Parham with Josh Palmer, obviously Mike Williams, being out of this game. And then Austin Eckler, we know how much of a role that he can play, so always potential for him to have a breakout game, and Jets Against running backs are not that great. Again, their strength really is against opposing wide receivers. As for the Jets side of things, well, Chargers have given up the most fantasy points to opposing QBs than I mean, more than any other team, most in the league. So what do you get when you get the league's worst quarterback going against the league's easiest defense for QBs? We shall see. I don't know. For me, Zach Wilson hasn't surpassed 20 fantasy points all year. I don't have much confidence in him. Um, I think, hey, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, they've been getting a lot of you know usage. Um, Garrett Wilson, last two games, have been seeing substantial targets. Brees Hall, pretty much taking the, pretty, taking the role in the backfield with Dalvin Cook kind of disappearing. So both of those two have been playing well and fantastic talent. So I wouldn't mind playing one or both of them in any lineups for showdown. But yeah, I, I'm... You see that green, um, you know, that green matchup for Zach Wilson. And uh, I, I'm just, I think that's where I probably will be fading, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. That is all for today. I hope you all had a solid weekend. Best of luck in any contest tonight. I will be back on Thursday. So make sure you're subscribed if you're not. So these pods can come directly to your feed. And as always, if you enjoyed the pod, please share it with one friend. I greatly appreciate it. Helps get the word out. That's all for today. Have a great start to the week. Later.